Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary Port St. Lucie. Please join Pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Genuine Faith. All right, well, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives us seven parables, and those seven parables describe the present kingdom in this present age. The second parable that Jesus taught in Matthew 13 is called the parable of the wheat and the tares. The parable of the wheat and the tares. And so in that parable, Jesus tells the story about how a man went and he sowed good seed into his field. And so what a, a beautiful wheat field. But the, but the Lord said, no, there's actually a problem here. The Lord in the parable of the wheat and tares says that while the workers who planted the wheat, while they were sleeping, an enemy came and the enemy sowed weeds among the wheat. And so what happened is that the wheat grew up, but also the weeds grew up at the same time, specifically Darnell weeds. It's very interesting to me that wheat and Darnell weeds look very much alike. So you see tares, another word for wheat, Darnell. Isn't it amazing how similar weeds can look to wheat? And so how in the world do you tell the difference between wheat and Darnell weeds? It's very, very simple. You just give it some time. You see, in time, the wheat, if it's really wheat, it's gonna bear fruit. It's gonna bear grain. It's gonna sustain people. But the weeds, what, what will the weeds produce? Absolutely nothing. And so when the workers noticed that the weeds had been sown among the wheat, they went to their owner and they said to the owner, didn't you sow good seed into your field? Why then do we have a bunch of weeds out there? And the owner said, an enemy has done this. And so the worker said, well, would you like us to go out boss and and pull all the weeds up from the wheat field? And the boss said, no lest in pulling up the weeds, you also pull up the wheat. You see, by this point, as the wheat and the weeds are growing underneath the ground, underneath the surface, their, their roots had intertwined. And so if you pull up the weeds, you're also gonna pull up the wheat as well. And so the owner then told the workers this. He said, let both grow together until the what? harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Ladies and gentlemen, in the present age that we live in right now, Christendom, I didn't say true Christianity, I said Christendom. Within Christendom, there is both wheat and weeds. The Lord has sown the wheat. The devil has sown the weeds. And so throughout the world today, the quote unquote church, it's made up of regenerate people and unregenerate people, saved people and lost people, even though they're religious. True possessors of Christ and false professors of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, how in the world can you tell the difference? And I would respond that at first glance, it's very difficult. At first glance, just like wheat 
and Darnell weeds look a lot alike at first glance, true Christians and disingenuous Christians look very much alike. But it always happens just like in the wheat field, in life, in the church, it always happens. Give it some time. And after a while, the wheat will bear grain and the weeds will not. Somebody asked Jesus the question about false prophets and he went into a whole sermon about it. But in that sermon, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 16, he said, and I quote, you will know them by their fruits. How do you tell the difference between wheat and weeds? Jesus gave us the answer. You will know them by their fruits. And so at the harvest, at the end of the age, when Jesus Christ comes again, how many of you guys believe he's actually coming again? Okay, that was half of you. Let me ask it again. How many of you believe that Jesus is coming back to this planet? He's gonna come. Life is not gonna continue indefinitely the way it is. The Lord will come back because he said he's coming back. And if he said he's coming the first time and he came, he's coming the second time because he said I'm coming back. And so at the end of the age, at harvest, when Jesus comes back, those who have fruit will be taken into the barn. They will enter the kingdom of God. But those who do not have fruit, they will be, in Jesus' words, bundled up and cast into a fiery furnace. You think this is important, yes or no? And so in our passage today, we're gonna encounter a woman who's going through a very difficult time. But in the midst of her difficulty, this woman is gonna persevere, and by persevering, she's gonna show the fruit of genuine faith. And so let's start in verse 24 today. Math, uh, Mark 7, verse 24, and from there Jesus arose and he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now let's stop right there for a minute. Tyre and Sidon. If you look at um, the map up on the screens, you see the Sea of Galilee, and then you see on the very top of the Sea of Galilee, it's actually on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. If you can see the city of Capernaum, just say amen so I know you're looking. All right, so that was Jesus' headquarters during his Galilean ministry in Capernaum. But in our passage today, Jesus and his disciples, they packed their bags and they're heading north. And they're heading north about 40 miles or so to the region of Tyre and Sidon. It's on the Mediterranean Sea, about 40 miles northwest of the Sea of Galilee. And so if you can see Tyre and Sidon in red, just say Amen. Okay, and so, by the way, those two cities still exist today. They're large cities in modern-day Lebanon. And so the Lord was now deep into Gentile territory. Now, in our passage, Jesus has left the land of the Jews, and he's entered into the land of Gentiles, a land that's filled with idols, filled with paganism, filled with shameful practices. So he gets his disciples, they head up to Tyre and Sidon, and it says in verse 24, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. And so while he's up in the region of Tyre, 
Jesus enters somebody's home. We don't know whose home he enters into, but he enters into somebody's home and he just tries to take a break. He just tries to kind of hide out and seclude himself for a little while. Now, we don't know why Jesus is trying to seclude himself here. We can give a pretty good educated guess what happened last week. Last week, you guys were here, he got harassed really bad by the bigwigs down from Jerusalem, the scribes and Pharisees, the big old legalists. So maybe he wanted to escape from them for a little while. Maybe he just needed a break from the, from the crowds. They're always around all the time. Maybe he wanted to share some one-on-one -on -one time with his disciples. We don't know why. All we know is that he's there. He goes into a house. He secludes himself, maybe pulling down the shade, so to speak. But Mark tells us at the end of verse 24 that no matter how hard he tried, he just could not be hidden. I mean, come on. He's Jesus. Verse 25. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, that means a demon, she heard of Jesus and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile. Now how many of your translations say Greek? Let me see your hand. She was a Greek. Yeah, that's actually a little better translation. Um, this woman was a Greek. Why? Because of what's known as the Hellenization of the civilized world. In other words, Alexander the Great and the Greeks, they were the world um, leaders. They were the superpower, but they got defeated by the Romans. But the Greek culture continued on all around the Mediterranean Sea in the civilized world, including this pagan Gentile area um, up in um, uh, uh, the region of Phoenicia. And so she's Greek. She speaks Greek. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter. Mark tells us that she's Syrophoenician. That means that she was born in Phoenicia, which in that time, during that time, was under the authority of the district of Syria. So she's Syrophoenician. So our story today, ladies and gentlemen, revolves around a pagan woman. A pagan woman who worshiped idols, no doubt, because she lived in a land that worshiped idols, dumb, lifeless idols like Ashtart. Ashtart was the chief goddess of the people in the region of Tyre and Sidon. So at some point along the way, this woman begins to question her religious beliefs. At some point along the way, this woman experiences a crisis in her life something that shakes her to the core and actually makes her question the reality and the power of her false gods. So what was it in her life that shook her to the point that she's beginning to question her religious beliefs? A demon came in and possessed her daughter. Now we don't know why this happened, but in that culture there were many openings into the demonic realm through various pagan religious practices. And so try to put yourselves into the sandals of this woman. How would you feel if your little girl was possessed by a demon? And by the way, don't you guys understand, don't you know that Satan and his demons, they don't care how old you are, they don't care if you're a little kid, they don't care if you're a, a young adult, they don't care if you're a grown adult, 
They don't care if you're an older person. They want to absolutely destroy your life. That's the enemy. And a demon comes into this little girl who lives in a pagan land filled with horrible practices. And the mom is shaken to the core. Put yourself in her sandals. She's living out the worst nightmare you could ever imagine. And so, as we continue on with our story, you need to know that Matthew also tells the same story that Mark does, but he kind of fills in some of the stuff that Mark, for whatever reason, leaves out. And so she comes in, Mark tells us that she begged Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter, but Matthew tells us the lady's actual words to the Lord. And so in Matthew 15, 22, she says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, that's a significant statement. And the reason it's a significant statement is, did, did you notice what title she refers to Jesus by? She calls him, O Lord, son of David. Now, that's remarkable. Why? Because she's a pagan woman from a land that worships idols. She's not a Jew. And so here's this pagan woman and she's addressing Jesus of Nazareth as the son of David. The term son of David is synonymous with Israel's Messiah. And so this is pretty remarkable here that she comes into this home where Jesus is trying to seclude himself and she refers to him as the Lord, the son of David. But I want you to see how the Lord initially responds to her. Check this out. Mark leaves it out for some reason. Matthew tells us that initially, Jesus did not answer her a word. Do you ever feel like God's not listening to you? Am I the only one? Are you there this morning? Do you ever feel like God's not listening to you? Okay, so you super spiritual people are like, no, God's always. <laughs> Do you ever feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling? Do you ever feel like God's a million miles away? Yeah, if we're honest, we all have those times in our lives. And now you know exactly how this woman is feeling because initially when she goes to Jesus, it says that he did not answer her a word. By the way, quick pit stop on this subject, when God doesn't answer our prayers right away, we need to know that he's got a good reason for his silence. So what does that mean? That means that when God doesn't answer our prayers right away, number one, we need to trust that he knows what he's doing. And number two, we need to believe that he's going to answer our prayer when the time is right. That doesn't mean your time, but it means God's sovereign time. You see, right now, initially, Jesus is not answering her a word, but by the end of our story, Jesus is going to answer her in his time. Does this make sense to you guys? Keep on praying, keep on knocking, keep on asking. And so as she continues to cry out about her daughter, Check out the, how the disciples respond to this woman. This cracks me up. It says that his disciples came, to, uh, came and begged Jesus saying, send her away 
for she's crying out after us. In other words, Lord, this woman is bugging us. Make her go away. And I see that and I think, these are the guys that the Lord is gonna turn the church over to? <laughs> right? Where's the compassion? Where's the love? How in the world are they gonna become pastors if people in crisis bug them? And it'd be, it'd be kinda like, you know, you get into a car accident, you go into the hospital, let's say our, our care team is all booked up and so they call me and yeah, I'm gonna go. But I think, you know, do I really have to go? <laughs> really? Come on, Lord, oh man, all right. And I go to the hospital and I walk in your room and there you are, your legs up in traction. And I come in, hey, how you doing? And I plop down on your bed and you're like, ow. And I look at you and say, stop moaning and groaning. You could have broke both legs. You should be thankful you only broke one. I remember when I broke my leg, it was so much worse than, than your leg. Can you imagine? I'm sure my board of directors would fire me in a minute. But this is how the disciples were acting. Insensitive. Thank God the day of Pentecost is coming when the Holy Spirit of God is gonna enter into these men's hearts and is gonna change their hearts to start loving people, showing grace and compassion towards people. And so if you're here today, I don't know who you are, but people bug you and irritate you, maybe you need a touch from the Holy Spirit to move in your heart and give you some compassion and grace that you would not otherwise have in and of your own self. Amen? Amen. Or oh me. And so, even though the disciples were being rude, this lady's persistent. And so Matthew tells us that she goes to the Lord and she, it says she came to him and knelt before him saying, you guys finish it out for me. Lord, Lord that's a great three words. Lord, help me. Now you gotta stay with me right here. How does Jesus respond to this woman? He responds to her, listen, by testing the genuineness of her faith. Put your seatbelts on, look at verse 27. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, if right now you're thinking, wow, that's pretty mean. Jesus is being just as rude as the disciples. Let me correct your thought by sharing with you quickly three things. Number one, Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity. And he decided, he didn't have to do this, to step from his throne in heaven, take on human flesh, add a human nature to his divine nature, be born of a virgin, live a perfect life, and hang on a cross and bleed out for our sins. Now, that is the definition of compassion. He's testing her. He loves her, but he's testing her. He's trying to draw something out of her. Number two, if you think that Jesus is being mean here, you need to understand that the Bible teaches that he's a lamb without blemish and without spot, that he never once committed any sin because if he committed a sin, then his sacrifice on the cross would not have been sufficient for the forgiveness of all of our sins. 
But number three, if you think Jesus is being mean here, you need to understand that the word that he used for dogs wasn't as offensive as you may think. Now, I don't speak Greek, I don't read Greek, but I rely on the pros that do. All right, and so John MacArthur has something to say. This is very interesting to me as I studied that there are two different Greek words used in the New Testament for dogs. One refers to the mangy and often vicious mongrels that run in packs and live largely off of garbage and carcasses of dead animals. The dogs referred to here, however, were household pets that were sometimes treated like family. And so this woman is Greek. Jesus is speaking to her in Greek, not Aramaic. He's in the Hellenization um, of civilization. He's up in the pagan land. He's speaking Greek to her. That means that when he used the word dogs, she knew he did not mean this. It was not Jesus' intention at all. Actually, he meant this. Okay? And that's Ella. She belongs to my son-in-law, Angel, and my daughter, Mary, who are sitting over there. She was part of our family. She's always part of our family. But when Mary married Angel, Ella went to live with them and left Stacy and I. And so Ella is definitely part of the family because when Angel and Mary go out of town, we get to house, or actually dog sit, Ella. And at night, guess where Ella sleeps? <laughs> Not on the floor, on our bed. And not on the foot of the bed. She's got to be right here. <laughs> or here. Right? And so when she's doing, she comes up here. I, I like my sleep more than I like the dog. Sorry. And so I'll take the dog and I'll put her, Ella, at the foot of the bed. But she doesn't like that. She puts her nose up in the air and she jumps down off the bed because I've offended her. And then she'll wait until we fall back asleep and then she'll begin to cry because she's not strong enough to jump back up on the bed. And so you gotta put her back up on the bed and then she decides an hour later that she's going to begin to lick and bite her feet. So it's while you're trying to sleep. And you can't put her outside the door because if you put her outside the door and close the door, she'll begin to continue to cry and you can't get any sleep. So Ella, I said all that to say, she's part of the family and when she sleeps, she absolutely sleeps in your bed. And so the idea here, when Jesus says to this woman, look again in verse 27, let the children be fed first. It is not right to take the children's food and throw it to the, how many of you guys, the translation says little dogs? Yeah, you have the New King James Version. The Young's literal translation also says little dogs because that is the word that Jesus used here. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying to her that let the children, let the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God's chosen people, be fed first. There's a principle in the Bible, and the principle is this, to the Jew first, and then to the Greek or the Gentile. And you may say, I don't like that. That's not fair. Well, you take it up with the sovereign God of heaven, because the Jews are his chosen people. And so Jesus, in Matthew's version, says, I've come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
He's now in pagan land. Jesus will not set up a ministry in the land of the Gentiles because he came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel primarily. But what you need to know if you're new to the Bible is that after his death, burial, and resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the Father, he sends the disciples out, not just to Israel, but to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world because thank God, God loves the whole world and the gospel is for Jews and Gentiles like us. That's good news for us. But that's not what we're at. where we're at right now. We're not in Acts, we're in the gospels. And so he says, let the children receive the blessings first. Now this woman, when she hears this, she's smart and she thinks, where do little dogs go when little kids are eating? You can answer out loud. Where do little dogs go when little kids are eating? Right? And that's exactly what she says now in verse 28, right? She says, she, says she answers him and says, yes, Lord, yet, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And I read that and I think, wow, this lady has genuine faith. She will not be offended. She just keeps moving forward. Most Gentiles would have been so offended if they hear Jesus say the, the phrase little dogs or little pets. But she's not offended. Because why? She believes that he's the Lord, the son of David. And so praise the Lord for her genuine faith. And before I go on, let me just say that as a kid growing up in Tampa with two big brothers, I was so glad on certain nights when we had dinner for the little dog under the table. <laughs> her name was Susie. So I grew up in the 70s, and my mom is, a, is an amazing cook. When my mom makes lasagna, you know, you're just like, can I please have seconds, and can I have thirds? I mean, this is really good. But when we were growing up, sometimes she would make eggplant. How many of you guys like eggplant? It's from the devil. <laughs> I don't get you guys. Are you kidding me? Now here's what amazes me about our generation. Our generation, you know what parents do now who have little kids because they don't want to hear their kids crying? They will actually make two dinners. One dinner for the parents and one dinner for the kids so the kids won't be upset. Well, and I'm sorry, I'm old school, but I grew up in a home where what mom cooked and put in front of you is what you ate. No matter what. And you couldn't pitch a fit because if you pitched a fit, you knew exactly what's coming to the lower area of your backside. And so she would make eggplant and I was not allowed to leave the table until I finished every single bite. And I literally would try, but as I swallowed it, I would shake because <laughs> it's just so disgusting. And so when mom and dad and Matt and Mark would go watch Happy Days in Laverne and Shirley. Yeah, someone grew up in the 70s. I would say, Susie, Susie. And when mom's not looking, give Susie the eggplant. And so praise God for little dogs under the table. Anyway, <laughs> verse 29. 
And he said to her, so she's like showing her genuine faith. And Jesus says to her in verse 29, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Now that's amazing. Here's why. And by the way, when you're having your devotions, don't just read and just keep reading and keep reading and not even comprehending. Take your time, slow down. The word is selah. Do you know what's happening right here? Jesus doesn't even need to go down the street and walk into the house where the little girl is. He doesn't have to lay hands on her. He doesn't even have to command the demon to go away. He's sitting in a house. We don't even know how far away this little girl is. And all he's got to do as the son of God is think in his mind, demon, get out of her. And when that phrase from the eternal son of God travels, we don't know how long the distance is into the house where the little girl is being tormented by some imp from hell. And that word from the son of God comes into her room, into her. And all of a sudden this little imp inside of her hears the eternal voice of God say, get out of her. And the next thing he knows, like a flea, he's being sucked up out of the carpet by a divine vacuum. That's our God. That's our sovereign son of God. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me tonight. Listen to me. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He's not the big guy upstairs. He's the eternal God. And he has words that can deliver you from whatever sin is binding you up. You cannot in your own willpower break free of the chains of sin, but the Son of God can speak it into your life if you'll humble yourself and repent and get down on your knees before him. He's the answer. The self-help book in Barnes and Noble is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. And so the demon leaves because he's gotta leave. When you're waking up in the middle of the night, all full of fear and having panic attacks because some demon is harassing you, call on the name of the Lord. He'll take care of it. And so, verse 30, the woman goes home. Sure enough, she found the child lying in bed and that demon's gone. Jesus was moved by this woman's genuine faith. And so he had mercy on her, delivers her little girl. Okay, it's time to apply this to our lives, all right? So from this woman's life, what we're gonna do is we're gonna pull out four marks of genuine faith. So if you're taking notes, you may wanna take notes. But number one, you need to know that genuine faith as opposed to disingenuous Christianity. In other words, the way to tell Wheat from weeds. Genuine faith, number one, is humble. She came and knelt. By the word, that's an important word, knelt. Just don't raise your hand, but in your heart, just think, when's the last time I knelt before the Lord? She came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. So this woman shows her genuine faith by kneeling down, humbling herself, prostrating herself, and admitting her need for Jesus Christ. Proverbs chapter six tells us that there's six things that God hates, 
and seven are an abomination to him. The number one thing that God hates, haughty eyes. Number one, what does God really hate? Haughty eyes. You know that whole, like, I'm better than all y'all, you're peons. God hates it. God hates pride. Why? Sometimes I wonder why. Well, I think because he created this beautiful angel, Lucifer, and Lucifer in his perfection got all proud and into me. And because of his pride, Lucifer fell. God hates pride. The world is filled with prideful people with haughty eyes who refuse to get down on their knees before their creator. In fact, they won't even acknowledge they have a creator. They'll say they evolved from some monkey. It's all pride. The world is filled with prideful people who will refuse to admit their need for the Lord Jesus Christ. This woman was just the opposite. She shows her humility by getting down on her knees, admitting her need for Jesus. The question is, are we willing to do the same? Number two, genuine faith is repentant. Let me just say, I'm not telling you, you gotta clean up your act before the Lord will save you. I'm not preaching works here, just stay with me. Genuine faith is repentant. She says to him, have mercy on me. Okay, so who's she? She's a pagan woman from a pagan land that worships idols. And so what happens? Something happens in her life that causes her to question her religious beliefs. Look at, look at me. She turns from all that nonsense her idols, to Jesus. And she says, have mercy on me. That's repentance. Now, the word rep repentance, metanoia, means a change of mind. Metanoia, in the Greek, New Testament, repentance, change of mind. But I submit to you with every ounce of energy I have inside of me that repentance, yes, is a change of mind, but it always leads to a change of life. You see, we believe in justification by faith alone at this church. We believe in the doctrine of justification from the book of Romans. What does it mean? It means to be declared righteous by God. It has nothing to do with our self-righteousness. It has everything to do with Christ's perfect life, which he imputes to the person who puts their faith in him. We believe that justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, absolutely till the day I die. But here's what I also know, that the author of Romans is also the author of 1 Corinthians. And Paul told the church at Corinth, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What does that mean? That means when you have genuine faith, the spirit of God comes inside of you and he begins to change you from the inside out. Why, because you're so good? No, that's the issue. We're not good, he's good, he comes in, he changes us. That means that things that you used to do that are offensive to God, all of a sudden now when you do them, you're convicted. And not only are you convicted, but the Holy Spirit is leading you to repentance. And the next thing you know, you're admitting it and you're quitting it. You see, check out what the apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter three. And by the way, I know 100% that this is a word from the Lord to our congregation this weekend. 
No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. I did not take that verse out of context. In fact, if I left it in the context, it would be even stronger than what I'm preaching here this afternoon. Go back and read it in its context and man, you'll be like, wow. All right, and so here's what you need to know. When the spirit of God comes inside of you, listen, you're not gonna become sinless, but you will sin less. Did you hear that? That was good. That was worth the money coming in here. <laughs> Even though it was all free. When the spirit of God comes inside of you, it's not that he's gonna make you sinless, but you are gonna sin less. In other words, you're not gonna keep practicing with no conviction and no repentance, the same stuff over and over and over again. You can't. The spirit of, listen, he's called the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means that if you're here this morning, either in this room or you're watching right now live on Facebook or you're listening on the podcast, what that means is that you need to test yourself. And if you're doing the same exact sin over and over with no conviction, no repentance, you need to ask yourself, do I really have genuine faith? Can I really keep committing adultery on my wife? over and over and say I belong to God? Can I continue before I'm married to have sex outside of marriage, no conviction, no repentance, over and over? Can I really continue to use drugs illegally over and over, no conviction, no repentance? Can I continue to flip and look at pornography, no conviction, no repentance, week after week after week? Can I really keep getting drunk every single weekend, week after week after week? No conviction, no repentance. Ladies and gentlemen, he's the Holy Spirit. If you have genuine faith, I'm not preaching perfection. I'm not preaching meritorious works to work your way to heaven. What I am saying is that when he comes in, he'll begin to change you from the inside out. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think God deserves a clap offering for that alone. Thank God for that. Number three, genuine faith is in Christ alone. We will never budge on this truth in this church. You see, what's happening in many churches is people are beginning to become they are beginning to teach that all roads lead to heaven. That, hey man, as long as you're sincere in your belief, it doesn't matter if you're Muslim, it doesn't matter if you're Hindu, it doesn't matter if you're Buddhist, it doesn't matter if you're Jehovah Witness, it doesn't matter if you make up your own religion, it doesn't matter if you're into Eastern mysticism, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. As long as you're sincere, God loves everybody, everybody's gonna be taken into the barn. That's not what Jesus said. He said some will be in the barn, some are gonna be bundled up and burned. And so what's the only way to God? The only way to God is through Jesus. The Bible's cut and dry on this, ladies and gentlemen. Listen, no other religious leader 
poured out his blood for the sins of the world. Only Jesus. And if you don't honor the son, you're not honoring the father. Listen to the word of God, Acts 4, 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. John 3, 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, but he who does not believe in the Son does not have life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If you have not turned to Christ alone in repentance and faith, you're still in your sins. Number four, genuine faith perseveres. Look at the obstacles that this woman continues to break through. At first, Jesus did not answer her a word. Before that, the disciples said, send her away. And so even though Jesus initially is not responding to her, even though the disciples are being rude to her, even though she's a Gentile and not a Jew, even though she's a woman in a man's world, this woman just kept moving forward. Why? She persevered because she had genuine faith. When you look at the people in Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith, by the way. People like Abraham and Sarah and Joseph and Moses and David and the prophets and a whole host of other people, they all have one thing in common, and that is they would not quit on God. They just kept moving forward. I'm quoting from Hebrews 11. They were tempted, tortured, mocked, scourged, imprisoned, stoned, sawn in two, thrust through with the sword. If that happened in the United States of America churches, half the people would be gone. I'm out of here. Jesus isn't making me healthy, wealthy, and prosperous anymore. I don't like this. Gone. That's not the people who had true faith. They wandered about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and tormented. You turn on so-called Christian television today, you see some guy in some fancy suit who's got a, his own personal jet and he's saying, make a, a, a contribution into my ministry and God will make you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. What? <laughs> what? Hey, go to the, the true chapter on faith, Hebrews 11, and you see people are wandering around in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, they're afflicted and tormented, wandering around in deserts, mountains, dens, and caves of the earth. You see, the problem is at the end of the age, there's gonna be people who are gonna say, Lord, 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 and he's gonna say, I never knew you. Why? Because you tried to use me to get what you want instead of bowing your knee and saying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Whether you make me rich or not, whether I get money or not, whether I have material prosperity or not, whether I can wear the fast, fancy suit or not, whether I can drive the BMW or not, I don't care. Whatever God has for me is what I'm doing. I'm just gonna be faithful to him. That's the gospel. Turn the television off, please. You'll grow in your faith. And so even though these people encountered great difficulty, they kept living for God. So in conclusion, you got tares, you got weeds, specifically Darnell weeds, and they look so similar to the wheat. 
How do you tell the difference? Here's how. Wheat produces grain, weeds do not. How can you tell the difference between a true born again Christian and a disingenuous Christian? Jesus gave us the answer. He said, by their fruit, you will know them. He didn't say by their faith, you will know them. That's what James 2 is all about. We see someone's faith by their works, not meritorious works to work your way to heaven, evidential works, which is produced by faith. Listen, it's not faith plus works. It's faith that works. That's what the New Testament teaches. And so the question is, is your faith genuine? Is your faith genuine? Now, I don't ask that question to try to get born again people to doubt their salvation. That's not my intent. The reason I ask that question is because the apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, five, listen to the word of God. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. That's God's word. Now, why is it so important to know that you know that you know? Jesus tells us in Matthew 13. Let's read it as we wind down this afternoon. In Matthew 13, Jesus is gonna explain the parable of the wheat and tares to his disciples. It says in Matthew 13, starting in verse 36, that he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the who? Son of man. The field is the what? And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy, and by the way, we were all weeds at one point, read Ephesians 2. We were all dead in our sins at one point, separated from the grace of God. So the weeds are the sons of the evil one. Verse 39, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The devil has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. He says, the harvest is the end of the age. It's coming. And the reapers are the angels. They're coming. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. It's coming. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all, look at this, lawbreakers. People who just keep breaking God's word, violating, violating, violating. No conviction, no repentance. Verse 42, and throw them into the barn. Is that what it says? The fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous, it's not self-righteousness, it's Christ-righteousness, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Why is it so important that you know that you know that you have genuine faith? The difference is between a barn and a fiery furnace. What are the marks of genuine faith? Genuine faith is humble. Genuine faith is repentant. Genuine faith is in Christ alone. 
genuine faith perseveres. Now, the Bible has a lot more to say on this topic. And so the response time today is some homework for you to do. If you'll go this week to gotquestions.org and you'll type in what are some of the signs of genuine saving faith, you'll see a, a more comprehensive article that digs deeper, time I don't have, um, but it's a great article taken from 1 John and they'll pull out what the Bible has to say. How do you know you have genuine saving faith? I encourage you to do that. Maybe you wanna take a picture of it, write it down, gotquestions.org. We'll put it on our church Facebook as well. And so God bless you guys. I love you. And Pastor Matt's gonna come out and close the service.